I'm Trudy Kerr and welcome to The Interviewer. In this series, I'll be talking to artists, campaigners, men and women of influence, musicians, performers, and anyone who shapes the fabric of our society. Today, I welcome to the show a dear friend with whom I have often shared the mic, a classically trained actor, a founding member of Comedy Nights, and a very funny guy, as well as being a very bad dad. Chris! Dingley. Hello, Trudica. <laughs> it, it's really odd being on the mic opposite you. It's wonderful. It's fantastic. But it's been a while. It has been a long time since we stared at each other across <laughs> across a <the> table <laughs> with microphones pointing at our mouths. Chris, if you if you pull one of those looks at me again. Yes. Yeah. Um, the famous the famous Chris Dingley look, which is just the way Your I look. look. <laughs> <laughs> I I remember asking you on air, "What's wrong? What have I done? What's up?" And you were like. No, this is just how I look. Exactly. I mean, there's a lot written on my face, you know. I'm, I, I wouldn't say I change the fabric of society, more like crumple it and throw it away. Um, <laughs> so so there's, a lot, there's a lot going on in this face over here. <laughs> you hide it very well in a blank expression. <laughs> it's yeah, brilliant. The vacant look that I have... <laughs> It's perfected <laughs> to a fine art, Chris Dingley. I have to say, no one pulls it off quite as well as you do. We're going to be. We're going to be. <laughs> take that as you will. Um, we're going to talk talking about a whole load of, of of topics over the course of this podcast. We're going to be talking about theatre. We're going to be talking about you as an actor, your plans. We're going to be talking about COVID. Um, I like what you're doing with the mic there. But I want to jump straight in on, on quite a serious... Can I just, can I just clarify? I, because anybody thinks that I might be doing something weird with the mic now. I literally just picked it up and put it on my lap so that I can talk to no, it. No, you're cuddling the mic. A, a little bit. That mic weighs about two kilos and you're now holding it and cuddling it. It's on my lap. <laughs> That's all it is. I say no more, my friend. I'm going to jump straight in, Chris. Earlier on this week, I was sent a message from a gentleman called Jeremy Greck with an accompanying image. This is not a call for help. This is a call for arts. And there was a very interesting statement alongside that image that read, it is a well-known fact that the arts in Malta are obviously not held in the highest of regard. Why? It's not seen as a profession. It's just a hobby. Of course it is. It's not as if anyone was binge-watching series of, of while on lockdown, reading books, pumping music to help them get through the boredom. The arts aren't that important. Now, we've all taken to watching an awful lot of television, much more than we normally would. I've watched The Crown probably about five times right the way through uh, and a, a whole bunch of other TV series, which, of course, would be nothing without the arts because we are watching actors. We are watching trained actors. Um, and we'll come to that in a second. But as a stage actor, a film actor, uh, a radio DJ and a comedian, what is the last... 12 months looked like for you? <laughs> what has the last 12 months looked like for me? Not pretty, I can tell you that. I would be lying if I said it, it was in any way fun or easy or anything like that. I think I went, I, I, I went, I swung between extremes of, okay, here's an opportunity to do something really exciting, something new, to change the way we work, to change the way we interact with our audiences, to change the way uh, audiences perceive us, who we are as well, because I think there's, there's some truth in, what, in, in that post that you, that you just mentioned. And I swung between that, which I think is a positive thing, and utter, complete and utter despair. And uh, please 
don't let me wake up tomorrow morning kind of despair. Um, and uh, pretty much everything in between as a somebody who depends full time. I don't have any any full time job apart from this. You know, so if I don't put out something, I'm getting nothing back in return. Um, uh, I don't have any any ongoing contracts with anybody or anything like that. So it, it's uh, I, I depend entirely upon this kind of work to be able to survive and you know have a family as well to support. It's been extremely extremely hard. I'll be lying if I said it, it it wasn't extremely hard. Not that it hasn't been hard for many people, obviously, um, but from my perspective as a, per, as a as a person who works full time in the performing arts industry in Malta. Yeah, it's been it's been really difficult to uh, to stay afloat, and not only stay afloat on a practical level, but also stay in the head game. As a self-employed artist, you're operating on on two levels. You've got the practical level, which is what people see, which is your output, um, uh, and then you've got your own head game, which is what happens when you're alone at home or in your studio when you are actually trying to create something or trying to pull something out of thin air. Then that's the other level that you need to operate at. And I think both of them came under siege, let's say, <laughs> in these last 12 months. You've said so many things just then that I probably have never thought of because you are in the performing arts in Malta and you also mentioned that you have a family to feed as well. So there's, as you said, there's the practical implications of your industry not just slowing down but coming to a complete halt. And you mentioned the performing arts industry in Malta. Is that because you're seeing that in Malta it's de different to anywhere else? I think so, yeah. I think it is different to anywhere else uh, in Malta. Um, I mean, the performing arts industry worldwide came to a halt in 2020. But I think that um, in Malta, I, I can't really speak for overseas um, maybe I can speak a little bit about the situation in, in the UK because I, I'm, I have links to it. But in Malta, I think it's uh, it's taken a little bit of a backseat because the general attitude, and that's the thing that, that that post was talking about as well, I think. For people outside the industry, the general view is that, well, it's nice. Oh, it's nice. We went to watch a play or we went to watch a theatrical production. Um, it's something that I send my kids to on the weekend. I send them to theatre school. You know, and it's something that people do when they've got free time, you know. Oh, you did that production in the evenings after your full-time job. That's nice you did that. Oh, do you remember in sixth form we used to dance? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, there's, there's this sort of general attitude that it, it, it's nice. The things that you mentioned, the the series and stuff that people turned to. You know, you mentioned The Crown. That, that's not a local production. There was very, very few local productions that were able to continue going. The w a widespread attitude is that the arts is nice but not essential, I think. And that is wrong. Alfred Tez, who was on this podcast just last week, was talking about mental health. And whether or not you regard the arts as being nice or being essential, um, being creatively led to having a creative uh, output and a creative experience is essential to a good mental health nice is necessary i agree entirely i i, I think it's what it's what makes us human you know it's what makes us human beings is that we are able to to create art you know and and and, and these kinds of experiences for each other these communal experiences and these individual experiences as well 
So I think that it is, that's why I say it's, it's wrong to think of it as just a plain, just a nice thing, a nice hobby that you do, because I think it is absolutely essential to the human experience. You know, even, even Shakespeare spoke about holding up a mirror to nature, and that's what art does, and you see, you, you know, you, you learn from it, you see yourself in it, you can, you can reflect on it, you can, you can process thoughts and emotions, and um, we, are, we are going through this, a weird phase right now. We're going through this thing which, which everybody across the world is experiencing, but everybody's experiencing it alone. It's a collective, individual experience. And everybody's experiencing this because of, because of social distancing and staying at home. We're all experiencing it kind of alone, but we're, we're isolated from each other. And yet we're all going through this collective experience. Now, how do we process that as people, how do, as, as human beings? How do we process that uh, emotionally, intellectually? Well, it's, it's difficult because it's not something that we were, we were taught how to deal with. You know, It's something that we need to deal with ourselves. And everybody has their own different way of kind of trying to process it. You can help yourself sort out the way, you know, the way you're going to interact with the world, the way forward. How, we, how do we work these things out? How do I feel these things that I'm feeling? Oh, well, hang on a second. Other people are feeling them too. I'm not, I'm, I'm not alone in this. Oh, look, look, there's this and there's that. And it can be as simple as, you know, sort of an emotional blanket, or it can be much deeper than that as well, I think. Uh, that's why I think it's, it's, it's vital. It's, it's not just a nice thing, because otherwise, what are you going to turn to? What, what is there that's gonna, that helps shared experience that we're all experiencing alone? You mentioned isolation, and I think there was one thing over the the last weekend that really was a picture of how people recognize isolation. So seeing the queen at her husband's funeral, sitting alone so far away from anybody else and isolated, created a, a massive response across the globe. And everybody sort of expressed yeah. how sad that was, that someone had to go through that alone. And it's interesting you saying that we are collectively isolated. I think so. And I don't think you need to be even physically isolated to be isolated, to feel like you are alone. Uh, I, th I think physical distance is, is an, one of the aspects, but it's certainly not the only one or the most important one either. So coming back to, to putting it into context of your challenge over the last 12 months, what has been the single hardest challenge that you've faced? I don't know if it's the single hardest challenge, but the, you know, I mentioned two levels of, of you know, way we operate you know one, one of them is the output and the other one is the mental game and the mental game has been by far the hardest um, in terms of output you know we've um, you, you mentioned you know, for example the comedy nights we invested in, in new equipment we tried new ways of, of, of engaging with the, with the audience you know to various degrees of success um, th so that's that's a tangible thing that I think you know, it, it was a risk, you know, there was there was um, uh, financial output and uh, sweat equity that went into it. But it's still something that it, it, it was difficult. But I think the the mental game of being OK with not being OK, being OK with having the rug pulled out from under you, uh, not knowing where you stand or what you are going to do next, not knowing how you're going to move forward any in, in any degree, trying to put all those thoughts aside and sit with them and be okay and learn to be okay with them, to free up your thought process, to be able to create something. Because if if, if your mind is all crowded with all these things, or oh, how am I going to pay that bill, or how is this going to happen, what, what what about this, or how are we going to do that, or why do I even exist anymore? <laughs> you know, it came down to something as simple as that. Why am I even here anymore? 
then you can't, how do you create something? How do you come up with, uh, with, with anything that's creative? I'm trying to um, sort out my, wrap my head around those kinds of questions to be able to create something. That was, that was difficult, I'd say, yeah. You mentioned back there about support. Do you think that uh, the arts were supported or have been supported or being continued to be supported enough uh, in this period? Yes and no. I think I think it goes both ways. You got to recognize the the good stuff when when uh, when 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 it when it's come along. For example, you know, Malt Enterprise recognized independent artists as self-employed people. So, you know, they, they uh, that 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 was a huge help. Undoubtedly, that was a massive help. Uh, companies, for example, uh, the M- the MPO Malta Philharmonic Orchestra contracted the comedy nights to be able to produce a show, you know. So, they they are a funded organization that were that 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 helped an independent organization said listen come and work with us we'll do something you know which which is all really good so there was help there were people there was a nice sense of unity especially last year there was a, a big sense of okay guys we're all we're, we're all in this together that's the cliche isn't it but we were um and then on the other hand there are certain things that i think that definitely could have been done uh, could have been handled better um, uh, you know, for example, I, I, I got into a bit of trouble for this, but I, I called out some national organizations for not doing anything right now, not producing any shows. Nationally funded theater organization, you should be producing shows right now, um, uh, not waiting for time to pass. <laughs> so let's talk about that, because um, I know that you're about to appear in Midsummer at Te- Teatro Manuel this April with Maxine Aquilina, who's also been on The Interviewer. Sadly, this has had to be postponed because we went into a socket second lockdown. But do you know when this is going to be postponed until? Is it still going to go ahead? Have you been given clear indication? Or is it like sports uh, and other industries where we just don't know? Uh, both. We've been given options, but again, but always with the caveat, we just don't know. So we've, 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 you know, there's been uh, uh, there's, there's been like, oh, we, we could possibly do it then. We could possibly do it at this point or at that point. Um, so uh, check your availabilities. <laughs> uh, but having said that, who knows right now? So there's always that. I mean, and, you, know, you mentioned Midsummer. That wasn't the first thing to get cancelled, you know, last year. Well, other things were cancelled. So... It's, it pains me to say it. You're kind of getting used to. It. I'm kind of getting used to it now, where you where you enter into a into a contract with a with a theatre company, knowing that uh, there's a very good chance that this thing might never happen. Um, but I mentioned Midsummer because I've been chasing your ass to come on to the interview for a very long time, and yeah. you kept telling me I can't because I'm rehearsing for <laughs> Midsummer, and I kept saying that's nice. And so, in actual fact, when it actually got postponed or cancelled, I was quite pleased. Um, but I know that's the one that you were rehearsing for, and you were rehearsing full on. Lots of days of the week, we're going into these rehearsals, and then it gets pl- it gets pulled at the last minute. Yeah, I mean, we're well underway into rehearsal, you know, and. Uh, um but that can be set for any number of, of productions that have been pulled from the from the Teatro Manuel or from other venues as well. So uh, it, it's it's a reality of the life that we are living right now because nobody knows when everything is going to be shut down, and everything was. So right now we make plans and we, we, we and we say, all right, well, look, we think we reckon we might be able to. Uh, aim for this period of the year where we reckon things might open up again. Uh, so keep that free if you can, <laughs> and if not, and uh, uh, and who knows? Maybe maybe a week before we open, everything might just. Uh, I mean, there was uh, 
there was a show. There was a show at, uh, at, at St. James Cavalier at Spicy Creative that, that the lockdown happened like a week before it was meant to open or something like that. I mean, they were in a way worse situation than us. So but it's the same. I mean, just to draw a parallel uh, on a very tiny and almost insignificant scale. Um, my friends and I have been training up for a race, a very big ultra race that was going to happen uh, 1st of May. And we were, we'd be trained, we put everything in, we did the long weekend runs and we get everything there. And just before it happens, just weeks before it happens, they say, we can't do it. And that's months of preparation that's gone into that. that so it, I do understand a tiny, on a tiny fraction, a little bit of that disappointment. But for you, it must be so much more. I don't think it's a tiny disappointment. I don't think it's a tiny fraction of this. I think it's... No, it just a, means it, I can a, eat chocolate very good. <laughs> <laughs> but you have been putting in the hours, the work, you know, the 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 the, the, um, the, the rehearsal. What, what, what I would say rehearsal, you would say training. I I I imagine, you know, and that's the same thing. And then suddenly you just you just you cut off at the feet, and you're kind of like, ah, okay, well, oh oh, we, we might do it again in three months. Well, I guess I need to continue, or can I not, or do I what? <laughs> can I eat chocolate? <laughs> can I eat chocolate? <laughs> can I? Can I? Can I? Can I actually have a meal now? <laughs> Uh, yes is the answer to that listen I want to totally totally change the topic for a second we'll talk about what's going to happen uh, a little bit more in a few minutes but before we do that you are a stage actor you're also a film and television actor you're a comedian you're a writer and I think an awful lot of people don't realize the full spectrum of what you do which do you enjoy the most? Which gives you the greatest <laughs> satisfaction? Oh, wow. What do you miss the most? Oh, uh, mm. I think my first love was being on stage, was, was, being, was acting. Um, I say that again, uh, not being on stage, just acting. So not uh, acting on, on stage or on, uh, on camera. I, uh, between the two, I, I, I enjoy both equally they're very different for, for very different reasons exactly okay. but that's why i like them equally because they they challenge me in different ways so that i love that kind of stuff um i, I like writing but I, I don't like the process of writing <laughs> are you a lazy writer I, are you one that i mean i happen to know the answer to this question I'm, do you leave it to the last minute i do not leave it to the last minute but i i write i i spend i spend a lot of time i write at the last minute but i spend a lot of time leading up to that last minute bashing my head against the wall pacing uh, if i had any hair i'd be tearing it out <laughs> that <laughs> that's my process so i don't like the process of writing but i do like having a finished product and then i do like seeing it being performed and uh, and, and seeing what, what you know, how, what people bring to it, I like that. So very you much. like the six pack, but you don't like the training. I like the six pack, but I don't like the training. Yes. So of all of the things that you have done, what is the one, the ones that stick out that you're like, yes, this is amazing, and I can't wait to get back to doing this. That's funny you should say that. Um, I had an, a, a, an interesting experience, which I was, I was quite surprised about, uh, with just before the lockdown, where, we, where certain events could still take place. And I was asked to do a socially distanced stand-up show. Um, and I, I wrote, a, I wrote a, a, like some new bits and pieces literally on the way to the, to the venue. I basically, I got a lot of stuff off of my chest. <laughs> 
It's a Chris Dingley therapy session. It is a bit. You yes. are the therapist, it, and you're going to have to listen. It to is me. a bit. Yes, yeah. And and stand up can't have that effect on me, at least, anyway. And so I got a lot of stuff off my chest, off of my chest, and I went on and I went on the stage. And I, I, I did this thing. I had no rehearsal or anything like that. And I just t- chatted with the audience. Just, just had the, you know, brought up these things that I wanted to say and just had a great time with the audience. And I wonder, I, I'm dying to know if it was just a one-off thing or if I can do it again. <laughs> can I pull off my anger? It was like, I was like, oh, okay. And I just, I just told the audience, look, this is this and this is that and that's that. And, uh, and but you must have known, we'd go back to this collective isolation, you must have known that a whole bunch of the things that are pissing you off were also pissing everybody else off. I mean, surely that is part of being a comedian, is, is being able to pick out things that our people understand. Well, yes and no, because if it didn't piss them off, then I'd be like, why is it not <laughs> pissing you off? Tell me about this. What, what's wrong with you? Or what's wrong with me? Come on, tell me here. And I'd have a dialogue with them. And I like that kind That's of aspect brilliant. of, 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 uh, of, of stand up. You know, we've talked about all the different areas that you enjoy and the thing that you enjoy the most. Stand up comedy, quick question. Is it not absolutely terrifying? Yeah. I, was, I was once asked to do it and I actually wrote a script for it and I bailed at the last minute because I was terrified that nobody would find it entertaining. Yeah, I believe I was the one who asked you to do it. Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> I've just realised. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, yeah, it's all right. I uh, I improvised. Um, <laughs> uh, it was yes, it is terrifying every time. It does not get any easier in my mind. Uh, but uh, having said that, my experience of, of stand up is. Far less than many, many other people. Uh, Malta, I get to, I get, I get to do stand up. Uh, well, in the good times, I got to do stand up once every two weeks, maybe you know. Uh, so that's not very much at all in terms of time on stage. But it is terrifying. But I real, I had this one experience where I, I just bombed. The, the bombed is when you, you just nothing works. Not you, another comedian. Uh, bailed on me and I, I had I had about 20 to 30 minutes to fill um, with, with, I had nothing <laughs> I had <laughs> nothing and I went on stage talking to the audience and half of them were there were foreign foreigners whose English was not their first language so there was a there was a slight bit of a barrier between between me and them already. So I played mostly to silence, and then they started talking between them, you know. And then, <laughs> so before I knew it, you know, I'm talking and I'm trying to raise my voice above the above the individual chats, the chatting that was going on in the audience, and I, I, I bombed, I bombed big time. And then I and it was it was humiliating, it was awful. I, I, I the guy at the bar gave me gave me free drinks afterwards because. <laughs> he felt bad for me that's how bad it was <laughs> and then and then i woke up the next day and i realized i, I you know what i'm all right i'm okay you realize that that's not that's not such a bad but well, we do know that you are an incredible 
comedy actor, comedy writer. We know this because anybody who knows you knows that you're one of the founding members of the Comedy Nights. So I want to go back to that. Let's go. Let's let's okay. move on to All something right. a little bit more positive. Hey, um, no, that was a positive experience. <laughs> I bombed and I loved it. Okay, not many people can say that, Chris. Let me ask you, uh, Comedy Nights. How did that come about? What are the and what are the hardwired memories of comedy nights <laughs> so comedy nights uh, comedy nights was another uh, time i wanted to get a lot off my chest <laughs> you see a pattern forming over yes, here yes i do i see angry chris <laughs> so comedy nights uh, started as a, a, a trio actually uh, myself wesley alul and malcolm garlia we uh, i was living in the uk at the time and uh, i wanted to work with malcolm garlia malcolm garlia was the last person i worked with before i left and we did a show together and we were like oh that, it was so much fun it was the first time we'd hired a theater it was the first time we'd written a script first time we'd produced a show ourselves we said oh let's do it again and because i was living in the uk and because we're uh, I, okay fine we we were right last minute um <laughs> we, you've told me before that you write last minute i knew that i was right on that one <laughs> We, we ran out of time, basically. We booked the theatre, we did nothing, and then we, we, we reached a point where we were kind of like, oh, um, there's enough time to write a script here. Uh, we need to start selling tickets today, or we need to just drop the booking. And the booking had the, like a deposit fee of like 60 euro or something <laughs> like that, and we were too cheap to let it go. <laughs> so we, 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 we kept it, and we decided that we'll do the show improvised an improvised show. And we, we said, we'll do it, uh, adult comedy. At the time, adult comedy, uh, stand-up and adult comedy was not really present on the island. And we'll, we'll do it for adults and we'll improvise it. We did that. It, it worked. <laughs> it worked. And people seemed to really enjoy it and we really enjoyed it. So we did it next year and the, and the year afterwards. We did three versions of that. And then um, Malcolm got a, an offer to, do, to work on Panto. And Wesley and I were kind of like, oh, well, we, we kind of want to keep this going. We don't want to stop. Um, so whilst Malcolm went off and did Panto, Wesley and I decided, okay, well, let's do something else. Let's do something else. And we were throwing ideas around, and we knew we wanted to sort of grow the idea. And I had a lot of stuff that I wanted to, to say about, about multi-society. Being angry again. Angry, but affectionately angry okay fair let's enough. say somehow we came up with this with this sketch idea and we got an, another friend of ours mark Cabradan in on it and there's, there's three of us to this day um and we and we produced our first our first comedy night show which i thought my i thought was going to be a lot smaller than it was i thought it was going to be like a tiny little thing um in some you know like back room of some pub somewhere you know i thought it was going to be you know audience of 50 people that's it and we'll probably never see it again and we did the first year at, at the Salesians theater we enjoyed it it was fun we were working with friends you know we, we, we asked our friends to be in it and they came along and we had a great time and then we did it the next year and the next year was when it really took off the second year was when it really took off and now eight years later uh, we just did the online version last Christmas, and now we're starting to wonder what's going to happen <laughs> this Christmas. Well, I mean, hopefully, it's all going to be back at the Silesian Theatre. Hopefully. Well, hopefully, we'll, we'll be back in the theatres. Theatres will be open, uh, and mo most people will be vaccinated by then, so we'll be able to sort of... We're eight months away, so there yeah. is time. Yeah. But uh, let's say 2019, I remember coming to that. And how, how many shows were you doing? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think we do 16, 17 performances, something like uh, that. Uh, 17 performances sold out. 
Yes, yeah. I mean, we've been very lucky. Like you said, the first year was five performances, five shows, and the middle three were... We are half empty, <laughs> let's say. <laughs> we grew, and we, we've, we've, we've had some missteps along the way as well. You know, we've had some, we've done some stuff that, but I like the fact that we're, we're willing to experiment and try, try things. Um, hardwired memory, it's one thing that happened that is so hardwired that when you think of comedy nights, you think of this experience. Tell me one. Okay, when I think of comedy nights, I, I, uh, f flashes come before my eyes, okay? And they are flashes for, I can't tell you which years they, they happen, but they are. There is a, a time from when we move into the theater till, um, uh, till the end of the, of the day. And we become, the, as a comedy night crew, we become very, very close. And we, because we're spending so much time together over there, a lot of flashes of meals together. St stuff that no nobody gets to see, meals together, having a drink up on the roof of the theatre, watching the audience come in, or just, just hanging out uh, on the roof up there, just just being, just waiting for, you know, eight o'clock to, to arrive and seeing the, seeing the audience come in. And, and uh, backstage, we have our own, we have a little ritual that we do as a cast and crew. Everybody in the, in, who's involved is expected to be there um, before we go on stage and we have a little ritual that we do all together and it's it's something that that sort of brings us together before a show reminds us what we're doing you know and uh, that we're all one one team and there's there's a genuine there's a genuine love and affection about am amongst all of us and some and some people come and go and you know the the cast has relatively stayed the same and the crew the backbone of the crew is generally the same as well but we've got people who come in and dip out and then and then but for that um for that year for that time you are you are in and you are one of us and you are your family and it's a it's a beautiful feeling it really is there's a lot more to it than meets the eye from a from an audience perspective it's a it's, it goes a lot deeper i think than just simply rehearsing sketches and making people laugh which is a lovely aspect of it as well and you know 2019 for malta was a massive year um then the amount of concerts that were taking place the amount of theater that was taking place the amount of people coming in from all over the world to perform in malta was phenomenal but also the productions and of course you mentioned comedy nights 17 sold out shows amazing i think it's 16 actually go with 17 chris always go with a big <laughs> number there are two trains of thought when it comes to emerging out of the pandemic there's people who can't wait to get back to the theater people like myself people who can't wait to get back to uh, enjoying huge beautiful and amazing concerts and there are people who just can't see life recovering do you think that there is a new appreciation of the arts is possible do you think that that could be a side effect of COVID. Do you think people will embrace it and say, you know what, I bloody well missed this? I hope so. I hadn't thought of it like that. That's a really, that's a really nice way of looking at it. Um, I hope so, yeah. I personally speaking, I definitely would be looking forward to to going out to you know theaters and, and events and you know, like you said, big concerts again. I mean, the other day I was listening to a live of a, you know, on Spotify, I was listening to a to a, to a band, you know, a live a live album, and you know, it, I, I was like, oh my god, the sound of the crowd, I haven't heard that in so long, and it was I, it was very emotional, you know, it was kind of like, oh my god, that's, oh, I need to hear that again, <laughs> you know, um, so yeah, I hope so. I personally, I I, I can't wait, and I, I'm 
yeah, let's go back with a vengeance kind of <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> I mean, I think that right now, I think people are so preoccupied with the other things that, you know, making sure they make an income, uh, that, that, you know, that their lives are stable, that we're not getting sick. But I think once that pressure eases off just enough, suddenly we're going to realize what we've been living without. I think so. Yeah, I, 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 I think you're onto something there, Trude. I hope so. Christopher Dingleton, you are always the most amazing person to sit down and talk to. Thank you so much for your time, for your honesty. Uh, and thank you for, you know, staving off the, the, the Dingleton expression just for, for half an hour. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad. I'm glad I didn't give you any, any, any weird looks or anything like that, um, apart from hugging the microphone. We're That's not going to talk about the way you're holding that, that microphone, Chris. <laughs> just, just leave that one just between us. <laughs> <laughs>